Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is illustrator, author, and educator, David Soman. In the late 90s, David's career as a children's book illustrator dimmed by creative burnout. It was rekindled when his wife, Jackie, saw their daughter and said, hello, ladybug girl. Among other topics, David shares how he got his first picture book job despite not having a single illustration in his portfolio. We discuss the past and future of the beloved Ladybug Girl series. And David and I talk about bad art advice, painting with watercolor, teaching at SVA these days, and much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. S-O-M-A-N. I mean, how else... Yeah. How else can one pronounce that other than so I you say soman out loud to people and they come back with like everything but soman like and you end up having I have this whole thing down now where I have to say like it's David Soman like so man what's going on like it's the only way to get them to like recognize that's my name <laughs> nice um so man what's going on <laughs> I'm just sitting here with my um, Zoom hangover. <laughs> oh my god! Like, How many hours in a row? Nine. Well, it's crazy. Eight? It's like a, it's it's about eleven um, because my classes go over uh, depending on the day. Like at, towards the end of the semester, it gets less bad. But I teach three classes in a row, and each each one is really different. Yeah. And two of them are essentially like. Uh, independent studies for like 40 people and so you by the end of the day i'm just shot uh and 11 Mm. 11 hours is a long time to be putting out that much energy i mean in person it's tiring too but zoom is sort of like uh you get much less back you know like as as a you know when you're not teaching face to face it's a really different animal you you know what i i wonder i wonder it's i i feel the same way um like doing group group uh, zooms, let's call them. I don't do them on Zoom. I do them on Google. But right. um, there is a little bit of like, come on, like chime in. This is a dialogue. Yeah. Let's have a conversation. And yeah. it takes a little, tiny little bit of like prompting. And I wonder if that's just because the kids, the kids these days, you know, <laughs> um, are just used to consuming content without interacting. They're just used to being huh. spectators you know i hadn't thought about that uh it's possible i mean what i find when i'm talking particularly not in my painting class like that that one is entirely different and entirely difficult but my children's book class and the class that i teach at sva called pictorial problems which is a sort of like a junior thesis a junior project for mm-hmm. all of them to do mm-hmm. those two classes like when i'm talking one-on-one it's okay like they definitely respond, but right. my watercolor class, what, what I find really hard is, you know, I like to share artists with people, uh, mm-hmm. same way you, you know, do on Instagram. I, but I just have this really large library of books. And so mm-hmm. I've always just brought in the actual books and I hold them open and I, we call it like students named it years ago, story time. <laughs> you, know, it, <laughs> you can't really dignify what I do as a lecture, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. But it's like, you know, um, I'm, I guess I'm also very paternal, but it's just, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I do this thing and 
in person, I can tell when I need to liven it up or I can tell if they're into it and I can tell what direction to go, cut it short or not, go longer. Yeah. You know, but on Zoom, it's a complete mystery. Plus, I mean, there's something to be said about being within, within the same space, having the sort of yeah. same experience. Yeah. And plus, absolutely. you know, I've been to your class and that studio, the one I'm remembering, was, yes. a, was a nice space. That's a really it, nice space to feel like you're you're an artist you know it is it was it's like i love that room room 607 <laughs> i've been there for like almost almost 30 years i've oh, been in that room geez. and it's like i love that room like yeah. they a couple times they tried to move me out and i clawed my way back in you're like hell no <laughs> no uh, especially if you're doing a lot of classes in a row like you know right. at least you, be in a good space for it right? yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i get it we're actually going to talk a little bit about your experiences at SVA a little later on. Sure. A little later on. Sure. Um, are you, are you from Manhattan? Did I know I that? I am. I'm, I'm a, I'm a born and bred New Yorker. Yeah. You know, like, a nice. Uh, old school though. I mean, I've been, I haven't lived there for 20 years, you know, I, I was 22 tr- years, I, I guess. Yeah. I was trying to, I did a little research on you and I, I, I was trying to find your hometown and I was trying to remember you, you told me once and it's something with a rose, has something to do with rose. Right. Yeah, I'm in Rosendale. 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 I knew there was a yeah. rose in there somewhere. Yep, you got it. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's a tiny, it's a tiny one street town. We didn't even have a traffic light until we'd already been living here maybe ten years. Oh, love it. Like it's it's like it's in the Hudson Valley where it's really ideal in terms of our lives. Like it's uh, only about an you know an hour and a half, hour and forty minutes from the city, mm-hmm. uh, from like midtown city, like being right wherever you need to be. Right. And we've lived here for a long time, and so it's great. I can go to work. Yeah. We can go to the city. We've even gone to the city to have dinner and come back. Like if we're feeling particularly inspired pre-COVID. Yeah, exactly. You know. That's uh, incredible. So when you're now you just... you lived. Now you're in the woods too. Oh, I'm in the woods, and my town yeah. is a one-street town, and it does not have a stoplight. Oh, well, we're, now I feel like big city Dave. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. I, I just, I it love the, I love the, well, the space, obviously. Um, yeah. But I just kind of like, I don't know, there's some sort of like uh, rhythmic energy that just aligns yeah. with my, with my, my soul. I don't know how that's to put a, it. That's totally what happened to me. Like I didn't, like when we moved up, it was ridiculous because um, I've always worked a lot. And at the time it was the late nineties. And uh, my wife, Jackie, was uh, working and I had two jobs. I was teaching, I was illustrating, mm-hmm. I was doing some private teaching. And she started coming up to me and be like, you know, I think we should move upstate. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, great. She's like, you know, I'm going to go look for jobs up there. I'm like, okay, yeah, you do that, you do that. Go on with yourself. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's like, well, you know, I'm looking, I, I, I'm going to go look at these houses that we can go move to. I'm like, yep, oh, awesome. Cool. You, you, okay, great. And then she came and she's like, I told our landlord we're leaving. And I was like, Okay, what? <laughs> She's like, and I signed the I signed the papers for our mortgage. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. Wait. Well, it was like, wait, what? And then it was like, the next thing I knew, you know, we were upstate, Amazing. and she's and she. I had never really thought of myself as leaving, even mm-hmm. though I'd always camped and stuff as a as a kid. But it's, I felt from almost immediately, I felt a lightness. Uh, yeah. And I found things out about myself. I mean, it was just it. I have never regretted it for a minute. I yep. mean, as much as I'm a native New Yorker who loves it, mm-hmm. I've never regretted leaving. Yep. So what, Metro North? Is that what you're taking? Um, no, actually, it's uh, the Adirondack Trailways, which is 
its own kind of adventure. <laughs> it's, like it's, gotcha. I, it's the worst, man. It's like actually, it's gotten better. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, uh, yeah. I shouldn't badmouth them. Okay. But in the beginning, we were always breaking down or having accidents or running out of gas. Mm. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So you moved up there like mid mid nineties, you'd say? Um, no, we we ninety nine. Oh. Uh, we moved up. Gotcha. And yeah, yeah, and then uh, mm-hmm. we did Y two K up here. Actually, originally we were up closer to Woodstock in a, a little town called Bearsville, mm-hmm. and then in 2000 we moved to Rosendale, mm-hmm. and we've been here ever since. Yeah, kind of what I would say maybe 10 years ahead of the curve. Would you say? Because don't you think well, that you now know, people are more and more filling that space up? From yeah, from I mean it's funny because when we moved up, you know, obviously like when we moved up here first, we felt a little behind because houses house prices had already begun to climb. And we discovered that we could afford a lot less than we thought we would be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was nothing compared to what happened later. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially 9-11 mm-hmm. and then uh, the financial meltdown and, that, and now COVID. It's right. like it just people just keep pouring in yep. um, to the area. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. When we bought this house, um, the real estate agent said to my wife and I, he's he was an agent for 30 years and he's never ever seen it this hot and i don't live in the hudson valley you know i live an hour west of philly which is you know it's not it's not the boons or anything but um Mm -mm. i mean we this house beautiful house we're in sold chester county chester county yeah but it sold this house this house sold for in two days and he's like i've never seen it like this wow so wow. anyway, um, yeah. how, how long after the new year do you say happy new year, by the way, <laughs> happy new year, <laughs> happy new year to you too. Yeah. For me, it, it goes on a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like everyone you I, see, no matter, like if you see someone for the first yeah. time in the new year, like in May, Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Happy new year. <laughs> I might not be that bad, but I, I right. definitely think I was saying happy belated new year for at least two weeks. <laughs> like yeah, I think I exactly. might've just, I might stop next week. I'm not sure. <laughs> or, or, or as they say in Dutch, Hulukuth New Year. Ooh, that's uh, good. Yeah. I was challenged to say that on the podcast by an illustration department alum. Hi, Nadia. Wow. Yeah. Well, you, you did it. Threw it in there. Um, well, we started listening. Did you ever watch uh, Love and Anarchy? It's a show on Netflix yep. and it's um, Swedish. Mm-hmm. That language is bonkers yeah it's kind of awesome <laughs> it is um so you grew up in the city whereabouts yep. what what neighborhood uh, i grew up on the upper west side okay. um back when it was a very different kind of place right. um uh i mean the whole city was the seven it was like i grew up essentially in the 70s in new york where mm-hmm. it was uh much more feral everything <laughs> um you know well i mean it's true like the city was sort of empty yeah. um parents were doing their own thing and we were just left to our own devices, and those devices could could be what they were going to be, you know. Like right. it just everyone, we never, we didn't need to drive. We did, we had subways, we had buses. Mm-hmm. Um, we walked around a lot. Uh, it was. I, I live right across the street from the Museum of Natural History, oh. and so I spent my childhood there. Mm. Like uh, I loved that. I still love that place. Yeah, um, cool. And and then also right nearby was Central Park. And so I spent a lot of my teenage years there. Mm-hmm. It was fine. You know, the city didn't start really changing from that until a little bit later. Yeah. You told me that um, it prepped you for shit getting weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing. You know, it's like I don't it's hard because I hate to be one of those old codgers are like back in my day. Right. Well, you know, we had it rough, but it was 
you really had to navigate your own life. Like when I was only maybe seven or eight, I was already the kid walking my little sister and my little neighbor to our school, which was only three blocks away. But I was like, okay, this is where we cross in the middle of the street because we have to avoid the SRO hotel where the prostitutes and the junkies and the pimps are. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, don't go here where that guy jumped out the window and like, don't go on this Avenue because you will be mugged. And like, this is where you'll get into it. And it was like, and that was just every day, like for all of us, I was not special at all. Mm -hmm. Like that was just life for almost everyone I knew where you just were constantly navigating safety and, um, and you had to be aware. And so we did, I mean, everyone I know, we, we gained a sort of level for stress and weirdness yeah. that we're just a lot more comfortable when things go sideways than some, because that's just, I think, imprinted on us as sort of the normal state of events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a native New Yorker, but my three children are. Mm. And when we moved here, they were, oh my gosh, can I do math? 12 and nine. And, mm. uh. You know, so that's a that's a decent amount of time to live in the city, and obviously yeah. with yeah, COVID, they don't have the they don't have the chance yet to just be in school and be around kids and stuff. But no. you know, we we you know, my wife and I, we're looking forward to seeing how they navigate. You know, middle school years, early high school years, having having you know, seeing you know, homeless people every day, yeah. riding the public bus every yep. day by themselves. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's a different kind of uh, it. It adjustment. is both one of the. You know, I mean, I've been really happy up here, and so has Jackie. Um, mm-hmm. Our kids had idyllic childhoods here. You know, I mean, they were both born in our house. You know, and mm-hmm. and like living in the woods and doing all these amazing things. But they're once they you know late middle school into high school, living this rural has not been for either of them their cup of tea. Really? Like they, well, it, it's hard because, you know, once they can drive, it gets a bit better though. COVID has destroyed my son's junior and senior year. Mm-hmm. Uh, once they can drive, it's okay. But you're, what we didn't realize is how, um, dependent they remain on us when they don't want to be, because I don't, I don't know about where for you live, but where we are, it's not at all safe to bike around much like the roads are really curvy really narrow and people drive way too fast and even if they did bike their friends are five ten miles away you know and it's hard to just drop by after school or something right and so they really found you know and if there's a party it's like it's all this stuff who's going to pick you up who's going to bring you You have to call your parents to get you or mom's going to drive you you know and it's uh there were challenges we did not anticipate me being a city kid and Jackie grew up outside of Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And so neither of us were really prepared for what it was like to grow up here. I just assumed they'd be like horseback riding and cross country skiing or something, you know, but I mean, like I had no, I don't think, of course not. There are kids, they want to read books. (laughs) I mean, Sam Mm -hmm. does sports and all, but it's just like, it's, it's different. Like I, you know, so hopefully you guys can navigate that better. Yeah, we're uh, we're a little bit. It's a little bit more condensed. A little bit more condensed. That's good. Like they, they, good. Uh, my daughters can walk to their friend's house and stuff. That's good. That's better because yeah. we're really we're really you know yeah like nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. And yet, like, I'm sure your neighbor is like a, you know, Wall Street executive or something. Cause it's no, actually, our neighbor, you know, no, one neighbor is like an old school hippie. I love her. (laughs) And the other, the other is sort of a weekender. And then we have a registered sex offender down the street. So it's a little bit like New York in the South. Oh, there you go. There you go. Upper West Side. (laughs) And it all comes back around. Exactly. Exactly. And so Um, it doesn't stress me out. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, yeah, that's, that's normal. (laughs) Did you go to SVA? For school, I didn't. I I didn't go to art school. Um, what? I mean, I I drew my whole life. Like that was my thing, and that was my. What did you do my after high everything. school? Uh, I went to two different ones. I went to Bronx High School of Science. All right. And then I went to St. Anne's, which is a, a private school in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, after Bronx Science almost ran me out of town, rightfully, but still. And uh, I mean, it's a damn good then school. I was went it, to was I went to Oberlin, which thing? is like or? a little. It was yeah, a grades and attitude, yeah, I think, nice. um, you know, like I was, I was a typical seventies, New York city, punky kid, you know, like <laughs> arrogant and doing illicit things and Perfect. behaving badly, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like, and the school was, I just wasn't fitting in there. I'm not good at math or science. Um, okay. and so why I was there, I don't even remember. I don't remember a lot of 9th and 10th grade. <laughs> and so, um, like, it, 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 my mom was uh, looking for private schools, actually, for my sister. And she found St. Anne. She said, I think you could go here. You know, maybe you can get in and get a scholarship. And then we did. Mm-hmm. And so I went there for my last two years. And that was great. And that led to Oberlin, where I did a sort of independent major, like a political science and uh, developing nations kind of hodgepodge. To, to what end? To no end or just for interest? To no, evidently no end at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's, and actually what I discovered is because I graduated a credit short, I didn't actually graduate and officially um, I graduated four years after I graduated <laughs> when I finally made up the credit. So yep. not that it's ever mattered, you know. Mm, uh, right. Exactly. I did a semester abroad in Indonesia in Bali. And that obviously, I guess, part of my developing nations, political sciencing. And I went there thinking that I would study something as lame as like rice production and the way they divide it up in their local economy. Mm-hmm. And instead, I ended up carving masks um, with a traditional mask carver. Oh, and nice. I lived in this little grass hut and I would bike each day over to his place where he was there with his other apprentices and his sons. And I was never so happy, like just Mm -hmm. waking up and going to do art. Mm -hmm. And I realized after that, like, wow, I'll finish at Oberlin, but I don't think this is my future. What was your first illustration job? Do you remember? Um, it was my first book. I mean, it was really, really, yeah. So tell me a story. Mama was your first illustration. Yeah. Yeah, what it was. are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, my stepfather, I mean, I always did art. And I went to the Art Students League. I started there when I was 13 doing life drawing with Gustav Rayberger, who was great. Uh-huh. Uh, total lunatic. Um, and then I and I studied with Harvey Dinnerstein and other people all through college. Every time I had a break, I would go back to the Art Students League. Uh, but I was, my stepfather is uh, Max Ginsburg, and he's was an illustrator uh, of Harlequin romance covers mm-hmm. he and other things. He did New York Magazine stuff. He did, he did a bunch of stuff. He, he was a pretty big time in the 80s and into the 90s. And uh, he was asked to do a picture book. And he said yes, uh, because it was subject matter that he was interested in. Um, and in the meantime, I was actually 
in Nantucket being a really bad carpenter. I came home from Nantucket mostly just to drive my sister to her college in Boston because she couldn't drive yet. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was because we only had one car and I had to bring it back. I can't remember. But, you know, I was also seeing my family and whatnot. And while I was there, my, my stepfather, Max, was like, hey, do you want to illustrate a picture book? And I was like, sure. <laughs> like, I had, like, I didn't know what. I was like, okay. And oh, he's like, all right. Because yeah, I just found out they're not going to pay me. I get paid the same for covers. They want to pay for this book, so I don't want to do it anymore. And he sent me to meet Dick Jackson, who, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I, did you ever meet him? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, you know, just amazing, brilliant giant. Right. Yep. And why he had faith in me, I have no idea. I mean, because did you have a my portfolio? I did, but it was the most ridiculous portfolio. It was masks I carved in Bali. It was political cartoons I did in my school newspaper, my college newspaper. It was some life drawing from the Art Students League. Wow. You know, like there was not a single illustration in it. Wow. He gave me the script, manuscript, uh, you know, and I read, I was like, like, Angela Johnson's like a genius. Exactly. And I read him and I was like, oh my God. And he's like, so just go make a dummy. And I'm like, okay, great. Like, what's that? <laughs> and, and he explained it to me. And, you know, I've always loved books. I've always loved reading. Um, and I've always loved telling stories. And I liked comics a ton. And it just seemed like, okay, I'll just go do this. And I had no idea how random the whole thing was. Yeah. Like, and I did the dumb, and he's like, okay, you're hired. That is and incredible then, leap of faith. It's, it is, it mm. is. Like, I don't know what, what I, he, I don't what understand it at all. Was he just kind of like, I know. you know what, I'm going to give this kid a chance. I'm just going to give him a chance. I like, is it, is I it, don't know. I don't know. I mean, we Or did he being, call like a hundred illustrators and they all said no. And he was like, all right, fine. I'll just use this kid. You know, I mean, he never told me that, Whatever. but it's very possible. It's yeah, very possible. It doesn't possible. matter, honestly. <laughs> you know, like I don't know. Wow. But we, I ended up doing a bunch of books with Angela. After yeah, that, you did. You know, uh, yeah, with, with Dick and, um, That's incredible. and it was great. That's what actually led me to watercolors too. Because Ooh, we're going to talk about uh, that, sir. Oh yeah. Um, Um, well, if I may, I mean, this makes it, this makes this part of, of this question I have for you all the more kind of eye opening now, because first of all, damn, um, that's incredible. Uh, but secondly, so the book comes out it's 1989. And if I may, the school and library journal said this in their review. Now for listeners, keep in mind what you just said about like you had, you know, some masks and some doodles and whatnot in your portfolio. Here's the review. Soman's vivid, lively watercolors capture the essence of the mood and message as they deftly portray the quotidian portraits of two generations of a black family. Both language and art are full of subtle wit and rich emotion, resulting in a beautiful, realized evocation of treasured childhood and family moments. Jesus. Wow. So that Jesus. was the first <laughs> review of your first book. I mean, not bad. That's your first at bat in the majors. You hit a home run. That's basically yeah. what that is. And but then I did, I did strike out a lot later too. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's, that's the life of an illustrator is what you just it described. Is, man. It um, totally is. Yeah. Up and down. I mean, I, you know, and then, you know, that it's Angela Johnson. I mean, she won, uh, that was, well, her, that was her first book and she won the, was. she won the Ezra Jack Keats, uh, new writer award for that. Yeah, yeah, and then she went on to win all sorts of things. I mm-hmm. mean, she is she's phenomenal. I love all the books that I did with her. Yeah, like, and if, you know, for folks, you know, you should look this up because stylistically, you look at that stuff, and then you're looking at the stuff that you're doing these days. Obviously, there's a there's a growth and there's an evolution and whatnot. But back then, 
I mean, those are pretty, pretty, you know, realistic, representational, yeah. kind of, kind of, you know, stylistic. Not really reliant on line as much as you, you, you ended up mm-hmm. doing with like Ladybug Girl and stuff. Did it ever occur to you, or did it cross your mind, or did you, you know, did you reflect on this at all? That you're, you know, Angela happens to be black, and the, you know. This book, especially, to, you know, tell tell me a story, Mama. Is, you know, about a black family, and yeah, you're white. You know, I mean, did, were you yeah, I, back well, then? Did you think about? No, I mean, honestly, I, I, I have thought a lot about this since then, yeah. um, because you know, into, I don't think I would, rightfully, I, I don't think I would be hired today for that book. You know, like I don't, I don't think that's how things are, and I think the white privilege of it they just oh yeah get this guy to do it mm-hmm. uh is obvious i mean look i didn't even have experience you know like right there's 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 a lot there that is totally unfair and bizarre yeah, like there's no kind of what i'm touching on a little oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm. i mean it's just it's and i was naive enough then to not even be aware of it it didn't even when I first, when it first really hit me, it's also, I mean, I will say, I will, the tiny bit I'll say in my defense is that I, growing up in the Upper West Side as a kid, it was incredibly multicultural. And my friends were uh, from varied economic and so many different ethnic and, and racial groups at the time. And so it was like, I didn't, it, it's not that I, I think I just had so much white privilege in my own life that I didn't see race, you know, like a good liberal. <laughs> and I didn't, like, I didn't fully recognize then at all what was happening. Right. And, and that happened to me also later. I looked back on what happened in high school and how I slowly got moved into more and more white groups because of the way the institutional structures worked for tests or scores or whatever. And I didn't recognize that at the time either. Mm-hmm. But I did begin to get aware of it when uh, after that book came out and we did another one. I used to do a lot of... Uh, readings and we went like i would go to shelters i went to libraries i went you know we'd go to schools in like bed and harlem and and when i walked in people were stunned and that was when i was like oh wow okay yeah i'm white and this no one's expecting that mm-hmm. you know like that's that's not what the kids that you know and you know after the initial sort of shock it was all fine we had a great time right I even I even once went with George Plimpton of all things. That was a really bizarre little event, but it was uh, you know, it, it's it, it's happily things have changed. Yeah, or are changing. Changing. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, and maybe you know, if someone came to you and said, "Hey, you want to illustrate this book?" and it was the same, you know, it was like sort of this, you know, repeat of history. You probably would have probably would decline it. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I really do understand the argument about the voices that have, I mean, I will say this, I think artists have an, have the right to explore what they want to explore. I really right. do. And I don't think I ever did anything with anything but the most integrity I could bring to it. Right. Uh, but given the institutionalized blocks that have impeded people of color from getting these jobs, mm-hmm. I really wouldn't want it. You know, right. like exactly. I don't, I wouldn't want to take that job uh, mm-hmm. because I don't think I would trust that I should have it. Uh, I, I don't, like it's, there's so many people who are great. It's not like, oh, well, obviously you got to give it to me. It's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> Though I'll tell yeah. you that what's funny is one side story of this is after I had done a few Angela Johnson books where everyone was African-American, 
Um, I was hired to do another book of which I will not talk about because it was a truly awful book, but I said, yes, I needed a job. I needed money. Mm -hmm. And they had me come in. They're like, we're really interested in this book, but we need to know one thing. Can you paint white people? And they had me do a sample. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That is the first time I've ever heard that. I know, right? Like wow. I was, I didn't know what to say. Like yeah. I, my, my, it, cause I'm snarky. My first instinct was to be like, you know, it's funny. I can paint oranges and not apples, but I didn't say anything cause I really wanted the job. Like, right. and so right, I was like, right. all right, Damn. I regret it now because the job is crappy, but still. Um, so can we talk a little bit about, uh, Lulu? Sure. So you and I worked together. When mm-hmm. I was at Penguin, um, I was in charge of the activity books based on your picture book series and Jackie's picture book series, Ladybug yep. Girl. Um, I, I have to say, it was nice having that much access to your illustrations. Uh, I, <laughs> I, truly, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed like getting in there, getting into the file, and you know, zooming in and just seeing all the little intricacies of your watercolors and, you know, little pencil lines and whatnot. You're, you're, you're like a slightly sloppy watercolor painter, but um, it was great. It was, but it was good to see. It was good to see. Um, You also had little hidden Easter eggs. Oh, I love that. And uh, I didn't catch, I know I don't, I didn't catch them all, but I did catch a few like the occasional Totoro doll. Oh, definitely. And a doll that looked like you. Oh, the David doll. Yes. The David doll. Um, my memory's a little foggy on this, but I didn't know you knew about the David doll. Oh, definitely. Are you, uh, you know, staring at your art for a couple hours in a row during yeah, the day. Yeah. You know, it's like, wait a second, what the hell is it's, that? That looks like David. The one, the one eyebrow. Gives oh, away. it's like. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look. It's not flattering. I'll tell you that. No, um, it's based on. Um, my sister's a great artist. Huh? She does professional portraiture, and she and I. When this is oh God, probably in our very early twenties, we're sitting around my mom's house and doing what siblings do, like insulting each other, sort right. of. And she just, she's like, I'm like, well, this is you, and I drew like a cartoon, and she's like, well, this is you, and she drew a cartoon. I was like, well, this is you, and I drew, a, and then she drew the David doll, nice. and she said, this is you, and we lost it. You know, we just <laughs> fell over laughing. Nice. And after that, um, it has made its way into every book I've done since it was invented. Like sometimes it's a Christmas ornament, you know, as How, where a is doll, it? Three bears, and a three bears in a boat. It's a, it's a bear version of it oh, on the I ground in one of the pictures. Damn it. I, uh, didn't you, I, my memory is foggy on this. Did, did, did you tell me once that you got in trouble or you were, you were told to stop adding Totoro's to your, to your pieces? <laughs> Am I no, that up? not Totoro's. Yeah, I, I wasn't told about Totoro's, but I did on um a, the book that I did, the first Agent Lion book that okay. we did. Um, I you know I thought it would be really fun, like because it's all animals, right? Like yeah. animals, people. Yep. And so I did this one lobby scene, and in the dummy, you know, I had the bar, you know, I had Little Bear, I had like every animal that I loved, you know, George and Martha, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. as a kid, like all these, and I got, like, they said, you can't do that. Like that, there'd be too much, uh, copyright infringement. Damn. And so I was able to keep some of some stuff by changing, like I could change Eloise into a chimpanzee and no one seemed to care, you know, but I had to get rid of anything that was actually, okay. uh, a real, a real thing, but they, right. they, the truth is I, I've done so much of it and they never seem to catch it all. You know? <laughs> um, 
Um, so Ladybug Girl is based on your daughter. Yeah, right? totally. How, how did the first book get published? Was this right around that time you're doing that really crappy book that you're not going to talk about? No, no, that was way earlier. Like I have almost had uh, – it, it's two totally separate stories, but I've almost had two careers. Like I quit books for a while. Really? Um, I really I, – well, I burned out in the late 90s. Um, what does that mean? Just I just – I was doing – I got, uh, yeah, I just, I wasn't enjoying it. I was confused about myself as an artist. Uh, I was confused as to why I was doing certain books. I wasn't really digging the lot. Like I wasn't really into some of the progress I'd been offered or that I had done. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just questioning a lot of things. And so that's why there's such, I mean, I, I did some collage stuff. I did some other stuff and that was all fun, but I just... I, I didn't have kids yet. I didn't fully understand what I wanted for myself as an artist. And I think I benefited a lot by not going to art school in terms of some things. But I think one of the things I lost was that chance to really grow as an artist mm -hmm. in a place where it's just growing. Because I had to do all my growing on the job. Mm -hmm. And while in one way that was awesome, getting paid to learn, on another there's not a lot of freedom to figure out what you really want to do. Right. Um, and eventually that caught up with me. Uh, and Ladybug Girl started like after uh, Jackie and I had our daughter, Lucy. Um, we had Jackie. Jackie is a writer and had always written. She's also visual. She's been a graphic designer. Um, she had worked with the Muppets. Um, and we had talked for a while about doing something together, uh, like trying to do something. And we, you know, we had different ideas. And I was at the time, like I'd be sitting there playing with my daughter who, you know, she's like one, one and a half, which isn't really a lot of playing. You're sort of keeping them, you know, propped up, keeping them from killing themselves, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and entertaining them, you know, right. essentially. And I was drawing all these like little crayon cartoons of her with her crayons while she would color or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I'd love to do a book where I could just draw like this sort of. And one day she came down the stairs dressed in boots and wings and tutus and, you know, a bunch of other stuff too. But mm -hmm. Jackie looked at her and she's like, hello, ladybug girl. And we were like, oh, wait a minute. Yep. Bingo. Yep. <laughs> that's going to, that's what we're going to do. Yep. And so we, we worked, we worked on it for like a good year and a half of trying to write it and me trying to figure out what the heck I wanted from it visually, which ended up being so much harder than I thought it would be. Hmm. And it looks so simple. It you know, does. you look at those illustrations and mm -hmm. for whatever reason, it took me for ever to figure that out and um we did we sent out a really elaborate dummy and proposal jackie was really smart she went and got these glossy red folders and so we put like little pictures on the top and we put all the things in and our resumes and all that and sent it to anyone i had worked with even though i hadn't worked at that point in you know four or five years i guess mm, okay um and we got rejected by everybody and, but the rejections, some of them were, you know, like, oh God, no, please forget it. Form letter. And other were like those, the ones that I like to call the no, but, mm -hmm. you know, so it's like, no, with this, you know, we don't think so, but we're interested to see what you might do or, but, you know, we don't think this has enough of this. And, you know, and after we would be upset and hurt, mm -hmm. we would get back to work and, Eventually, this uh, wonderful, wonderful editor since retired, Liz Wineski, 
at Dial Books, mm-hmm. uh, she kept responding. Slowly, other people dropped out, but she kept responding. And eventually, we sent her a revision of the story that she accepted. And that was another year of submitting, I guess, or, or eight months, yeah. something like that. And then I had to, by that point, the whole original dummy was useless. So we had to get back to work and start from scratch. And so from the time, by the time the book came out, my, my daughter, who was maybe two when we started, not quite, was already like six or seven. (laughs) (laughs) Or even older, eight, like she was already older than Lady Bunker. It seemed like by the time, by the time it came out, I think she was six. Yeah. 12 years, 10 books, 10 original books? Um, yeah, I think that's right. I think there were 10 Ladybug Girl books and one Bumblebee Boy book. Bumblebee Boy. You right. know, original yep. books, yeah. Yep. yep, I remember that too. Um, yep. And then there were a bunch of board books and like spinoff books. Yes, yeah, well, we worked on those together, right? Yep. Like, yes, like, we did. Uh, um, yep, the board books were were fun. Yeah, they were super fun. Yeah, and then fun. They did, we did some other things. There was readers, I think. Yeah, um, that's right. And some other odds and ends. Yeah, yep. basically Penguins like. So, you know, all these other form letters, all these other projections. I hope you're listening, listeners. You know, you guys kept at it. And then during my entire time at Penguin, I mean, Ladybug Girl was part of Penguin's identity. I didn't quite real. I don't think I quite realized that, you know, it's like, yeah. it's not, um, especially once Liz left, we just were, we were making the books, but we weren't, you know, we didn't come it, it's slowly, but surely we weren't coming in as often. Like mm-hmm. it was every, I guess that it was like, there was just trust in us, Yeah, you know? So it was just like, it was this thing that we were just doing yeah. and I didn't, um, I knew, I mean, we knew it was successful, of course, right. but I also having, I, I didn't have a lot to compare it to at that point because my earlier career was much earlier and much less successful. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't really realize it. And Jackie just like, oh yeah, of course I had a total home run, my first book. Hooray. You know, it's like, <laughs> and so. Like, and we then Jackie's like, like, I mean, how, how, how are you struggling at this? Look how easy it is. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, um, I mean, oh, it was hard Lord. to work. I mean, that's like, you know, working together was like a whole second marriage. So like, that's a whole other yeah kettle of fish definitely. Well, we, my had, wife we, is, we had to work through definitely I, I'm, I'm there my wife is the managing director of the illustration department so we worked together, yeah you know so you know you know it's, definitely it's fun and it's challenging mm-hmm, for sure um one of my favorite memories and then we're going to move on to something um sure related but a little bit different is um one time i walked into the art director's office for dial and on her desk was an original watercolor of yours for three bears in the boat uh I think it was like 2012 or something, 11, 12, Maybe. 13, something. So, yeah. And it, was like just, it was just, it was just, uh, and you know, I, I had been used to, I'd been, I've gotten, I had, what was that? I'm going to try to say, I was accustomed to seeing Ladybug Girl, you know, I was like David Soman, Ladybug Girl, Jackie Davis, Ladybug Girl. And then there's, then this came in, this other thing came in and it was so lovely. The watercolor technique. Oh, thank you. That you, that you, <laughs> that Ladybug Girl, like you went through the fire with, um, kind of, just so subtle and pretty and, and classic and delicate and thoughtful and like all the things that I ever, I, anytime I talk to illustrators who work in watercolor, I think of, there are a handful of illustrators I think of when I think of watercolor, watercolor is especially working these days in children's books. You are definitely one of those guys. Oh, thank you. That's and gals. That means a lot. Yeah. Well, it's true. Um, yeah. So well, I was classically trained, you know, and so that was, 
part of, I yeah, think, came through. part of what was hard for me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that was, I think, why the first books were so realistic, that that's all I knew how to do, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And so that's, I think, part of why, like, what would be for some people just, oh, yeah, do Ladybug or duh. Yeah. For me, it was like this effort because I'm like, no, you paint from life mm-hmm. and everything's figurative, you know, and you do yeah. subtle washes, you know, and it's just like just to un like unclench that muscle and right. find new ones. You yeah, know? it's like unburden yourself of, of these rules and then just try to yeah. move, in, move and you but, know, allow the process and with with cur- like approach other ways with curiosity. And obviously you have that foundation, but you can. It's your world. You can create how you create it. However yeah. That, how you I mean, I, I have, and I enjoy changing. Like, um, you know, I loved doing the collage books. They were just too much work for me mm-hmm. to keep doing them, but I liked the way they looked and, right. and it's been fun to play with different mixed medias, mixing watercolor with different things. Like sure. I just finished a book where for the first time there's more gouache than I've ever used before. Mm. And, and that was a, a learning curve. I discovered I'm not that big a fan of gouache. Yeah, I'm not either. It's like, it's, <laughs> I love great gouache painting is a, is a, is a lovely it thing is. to see, but I, I, have I just a never new level of respect for yeah, it. Definitely. You know? Yeah. Like absolutely. Cause I, yeah, exactly. yeah, me too. <laughs> My thoughts. Exactly. My kids were into this cartoon for about 10 seconds called miraculous. It's like it came out of France. Mm. It was about a girl whose superhero alter ego is ladybug. That's her name. Oh, the ladybug cartoon. Ladybug yeah. cartoon. She it's like it's like if Lulu was a teenager and had and was superhuman. Well, it's funny. I mean, I, I I think I can say this because we signed the deal. Um, but there's Ladybug Girls rights were bought for a cartoon series, and nice. part of the yeah, it is it is really nice, but it also just feels so surreal and unreal, and like you know. Mm-hmm. I don't, it, it doesn't guarantee anything, you know? I mean, sure. it's like, it's, it's, um, everyone's always like, when are you going to go TV do? When are you going to go TV do? And it's like, you get, you, you sort of do get what, you know, probably more than I do because of uh, working at dial, but it's like, you get this, but you don't really get it, but you sort of get it. Maybe you'll get it. And it's like, you know, it's like, I, and as Jackie would just call me, she's like, oh, shut up, Debbie Downer. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I know you're Debbie Downing it. Come on. I, know, I mean, that's, I that's cool. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. It's just, it's very cool. But uh, we, the name thing was an issue because of Ladybug, you know, mm. a miraculous Ladybug girl yep. or whatever uh, yep. that other cartoon is. So we, yeah, that's the only reason I even knew about it because mm. my kids sort of were, li- were too old when that came out. Yeah. My kids got into it and it was like all they wanted to watch all day long for about two weeks. And then I haven't seen it since, but that was, you know, yeah. Like isn't it amazing ago. how kids do that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, it's all love and then it's gone. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so you do work in watercolor and uh, yeah, my yeah. joke, I, I'm just gonna, my listeners already know exactly what I'm going to literally the words I'm going to say next. Um, I guess you didn't get the memo that everyone's going digital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's I can't such do a shit digitally. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so oh my god, it's so um I can't even see I can't even think of the damn word how upsetting it is to me to continually hear from illustrators who hear from like pros in the business. Oh, uh, well, yeah. you know, you got to work. You got to learn how to play. Yeah, learn Photoshop. Got to go digital. Everyone's going digital. Like what kind yeah. of colossally stupid bullshit is this? Like, I don't who you know. Is saying is, I, I this only, stuff? I have no idea. I only work in children's books. I don't, I don't know much about. That's where other... it's coming from. That's where it's coming from. I, 
don't know who's saying that. I don't you know, know who's like, saying I it don't... either, but they don't. I mean, how could you work in a children's publishing and say to illustrators, well, you, you know, no one's working traditionally anymore. Well, people, you know, yeah, but people do say stupid things all the oh, time, don't geez. they? So you know, like, God. I mean, even good, smart people like there's. Yeah. You yeah. know, like I've heard I've heard advice given that I just think is so bad. You know, like, like ooh, you got to go like, look what? at what's on the market and then you yeah. got to do that. It's Wrong. Like, that's the opposite of Wrong. what you've got to do as an exactly. artist and an art student. Like, that's just so wrongheaded. And I guess maybe the same person saying that is saying you got to go digital because that's what's in the market a lot. So stupid. You know? I mean, a lot of my students work digitally and they do a lot of them do great work. I mean, the thing is. I never learned it because when I was painting and Photoshop came out and all that, it was so bad that there seemed to me no point to learning it, uh, especially for, you know, I could do what I needed to do already with paint. Mm -hmm. And so slowly it got better and better, but even as it gets better, you're so far behind at a certain point that it's like, I just, I wasn't going to take the time to learn it. Mm -hmm. And so I never really did though. I did recently start playing with procreate a little bit because it seems sort of interesting what you can do. Uh, and a lot of my students are almost all of them who were with digital combined some level of hand drawn and digital, mm -hmm. which seems to yield really good results. I mean, I think mm -hmm. it's just a tool. And I right. think if people think it's a, uh, like a panacea or some guarantee, it's not like bad art is bad art and good yeah. art is good art. And it, it really, I don't think it matters what medium you use. You know, I think the problem for a lot of digital work that I see um, from some students and you see certainly professionally is that they're just doing a lazy job. Mm -hmm. And so the work has that look that anyone could have done it. It doesn't feel unique. And what mm -hmm. you, if you're, if you're working digitally, I think, you know, for any students who do, the real challenge is to find a way to, with customizing the tools that you use to make, and, and also I think scanning in at your own real drawings mm -hmm. is to make it feel like it's uniquely yours. Right. And, and other, and that is a natural part of any kind of old fashioned hand painting and drawing. Like mm -hmm. if you pick up a pencil, your mark is different. Mm -hmm. But everyone who picks up an Apple pencil and uses the pencil tool, if you draw across, it looks more or less looks the same. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the big uh, the that that's the, that's the the main downside, I think. You know, yeah. a mutual friend of ours posted something on Instagram recently um, about working digitally, and and she dared yeah. to suggest that illustrators shouldn't lean too heavily on digital media. Yeah, I mean, she was really yeah. just saying, like have a wider appreciation of the various myriad methods of art making, you know, practice, yeah. like just think of it a bit more holistically. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was really the gist of the point, but as is the case with social media, it was interpreted as quote, digital sucks. Like she said that digital <laughs> sucks. One person said, and I'm quoting this, I don't know who our mutual friend is, is, but she needs to shut the fuck up. Oh, my God. And weirdly enough, that response didn't get any pushback. But her daring to even suggest that, you know, having a little bit more of a wider, wider understanding of, you know, art making. Yeah. That was uh, enough to. That's know, ridiculous. It's, I mean, it's, people, it's, it's, I mean, I, you know, you're probably talking to one of the last I mean, or at least social media people there are, there are like, bless your heart. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm old, but not that old, but I just don't do it. 
you know, like I have Instagram now, Mm -hmm. um, but I've only had it for maybe a year, Mm -hmm. a little over. And I don't have, I don't even have a website. You know, I don't do Facebook. Um, I don't do LinkedIn. I don't do any of it. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. I don't even know. I can't you know? even wrap my head around it. What that what that would be like? It sounds yeah, amazing. Yeah, I know. I I I mean, I feel I get. I'm lucky. I, I I because I get work. I don't have to do all that. I, I do want to build a website. I keep meaning to, but mm-hmm. my own like you know issues get in the way. Mm-hmm. But it's like uh, the one of the things, and maybe the main thing. I just I don't like how this social media mob exists. I mean, I don't want to be part of it one way or another. Right. Um, and I don't, I, I think people are so quick to respond without hearing. Mm-hmm. And I know that post you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, what she said that I, you know, I a hundred percent agree with. Like, I remember this one part, she's like, learn how to ink with a brush first. You know, you can use Procreate, but I try to understand the real tool it's trying to imitate. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, yes, what's wrong with that? Nothing. You know, what the irony here is that digital media is more expensive than traditional media. And right. to then say, well, you know, go, everyone should go digital is saying everyone should be able to afford shitload, of, shitload yeah. of money. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, exactly. Actually, I mean, I will say this, though. I, I, it is. I mean, I think after, you know, your initial investment, um, I don't know how much programs cost because, again, I don't do it. But uh, it's expensive to do what I do. <laughs> you know, like I, I spend a lot of money on art supplies. You know, brushes, brushes you, you go through brushes, you go through paint, you go through paper. And especially for me, like I have a – under my, my drawing table here, I have an Ikea bag. And I fill that bag every book project with sketches and failed illustrations. And I'm like looking, I'm like, well, there's another $7 piece of watercolor paper into the garbage, into the garbage, into the garbage, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like it, it like art, you're, you're gonna, you have to lay out money, unfortunately. Like that's just part of it. Like whether you're working traditional or not. Um, I, this is one of the issues I always have with my students where it's like, I'm, I do research. I have to spend money because I'm trying to find what is good. That's affordable. Right. You know, so that I can make recommendations on this particular paint set or these kinds of brushes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so that they don't spend more money than necessary. But the, um, my watercolor mentor, the guy who first started teaching me watercolors, Erwin Greenberg, um, since passed away, but one of the great New York city art teachers, uh, he always said, "Buy the best supplies you can afford." Yep. And Agreed. I think I think Robert Hunrai might say that too in yep. his book. That might be where Greeny got it from. <laughs> Do you know what's funny? Um, every time I hear that Robert Hunrai or Henri or yeah. whatever, I remember, Henry, however you say Henry, yeah. Robert Henry. Every time I hear his name spoken by someone, it's always pronounced differently. Every single time. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I'm sure mine is wrong. <laughs> just like, just like Somit, I guess. Apparently. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I'm I'm the wrong one, no doubt. Um, I say I say Henri, but I I, I don't know. Yeah. I need to. Look I, it up. I trust you. You speak Italian, so you know better than me. That's not Italian. It's French. I oh. know, but I'm just going to say that you can do the Euro language thing. The Euro. Oh gosh. The Euro. Um, uh, speaking of great New York City professors, I have one more question, and then and then sort of the last thing. Um, okay. Burton Silverman. Oh um, yeah. You're you in early, early in your career. I think maybe this is pre burnout. Maybe it was mm-hmm. during burnout. I'm not sure. Um, right. You studied under her. 
Burton Silverman. And for yeah, folks who totally. don't know, Burton yeah, Silverman he... is one of the greatest figurative painters of the 20th century. That's all he Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's all he is. Yeah. Um, he's incredible. Yeah, I was really lucky. Um, I got to take his class. He taught privately. Uh, and I was working um, one of my many jobs at the time, even as I was doing that first book, you know, of course, it, pay, it did pay that little that you needed a, a bunch of other jobs. Yeah. Uh, and, a, a, you know, a good part of my paycheck would go to his classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was worth every penny. Yeah. And his drawings, his drawings are so good. I, I look at his drawings and it, and it like kind of breaks my heart. How what unbelievably was terrifying gorgeous his like drawings he are. could, he could correct your drawing upside down. I was doing watercolors with him. Like he, he and, and Irwin were my two principal watercolor teachers because like I, as, as an aside, like I, when Dick asked me, he's like, what medium are you going to do the book in? Right. For my very first book. Jesus. I was like, well, pens, I was like pencil drawings. Cause that's what my stepfather Max had told me is a black and white pencil book. And he's like, this book isn't in black and white. And I'm like, oh what? God. And he still and, gave and you I'm the like, job. Well, I was like, I was like, okay. And he's like, so what do you think you're going to do? And I was like, well, I'm in my mind. I'm like, well, what's the easiest? I'm like, well, watercolors, which I had never done. Oh my God. <laughs> and so I was like, watercolor. And so then I had to do a crash course in watercolor. I almost quit. I was having such a miserable time, mm-hmm. you know, months later. Luckily you got like a year deadline. Cause I mean, they, sure. they weren't in a rush. Yeah. Um, like Back six months days. later, I was in tears. You know, like, mm-hmm. just like, I couldn't do anything. And then one day I finally had a breakthrough. And after that, it, it, it took off. Yeah. But I, I, later I started studying with um, Bert and he was amazing. He taught, I, and I worked in that style that he did. Yeah. Back then I worked on the plate finished paper, um, which is a very specific kind of paper for a very specific style of watercolors where you can sort of lift paint out. And I did that for I don't know, probably like a decade um, or near it until, and I, that's all I taught at SCA and my students did it. We all loved it. But then they started making the paper really poorly. And I was in the middle of my last pre-burnout book and the paper didn't work anymore the way it was supposed to. Mm. Um, and it made the job really hard to do. And after that, I was like, well, I'm not going to be dependent on this. Right. And so I retaught myself about traditional watercolors, mm-hmm. which is what I've been doing ever since. You know, he has a quote that, um, it's one of those quotes where you read it and you're like, damn, I think that just changed the way I want to live my life. <laughs> um, he said, he's so smart. Oh, he, I think, is he still alive? He is. He is good. And still I, political. <laughs> oh, good. Cause I sent an invitation yeah. to him to be on the podcast. Um, uh, and I was like, I don't know if this is going to go to like some, you know, inbox that doesn't get checked anymore. I don't know. I don't know if he responds. I, every now and then he comes out with a rant. I see on something where I hear, because nice. him, you know, he's a contemporary of my stepfather. So I'll hear about him or I've even seen him at a few of my stepfather's shows over the years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I don't know how much he actually pays attention to okay. other well, people. I'll, I'll check my inbox. Um, <laughs> yeah. but he, but he said something, he said this, my best training came from doing illustrations it taught me to compose my paintings more effectively, to improve my colors, and this is the kicker mm. for me, to be ruthlessly selective. Mm. I love that. that. Is good. To be that ruthlessly is good. selective. And that sums up his work too, because he's um you know, he's in that traditional realistic school. Yep. Uh, but part of what sets him apart from a lot of his contemporaries and peers is the way he simplifies things down. He used to talk about uh, Degas a lot uh, in class. He loved Degas. 
and or loves Dega. And mm-hmm. he would talk about just the choices and and getting, you know, like essentially why use 10 strokes when one will do. Yep. And so what happens is every little choice really resonates because you're not making a kajillion mm-hmm. on, on every part of your painting. I had um, Greg Manchus as well yeah. on the podcast, and he said, like, basically, don't tickle the canvas with the paintbrush. Mm. Just put it down and go to the next thing, which I thought was also good advice. That is good. It's funny. I've noticed, like, when, like you know, they're just – I've noticed it as a teacher – and I've noticed it as as just an artist. Like there just isn't ever just one way to do something. Exactly. You know, exactly. like I look at like like a Janetti Spirin's watercolors. Those couldn't be more tickled. You know, <laughs> and they're like they're incredible. You yeah. know, and it's like right. and then you could look at someone else who's just like Oliver Jeffers, and it's like yay. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, I know. You know, it, it works. You it's, know, it just works. I know. That's like I think most of most of the most of the vitriolic discourse on social media, of which you are not aware because you're not on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, most of it, seventy five percent of it, comes from like here's what you should do. No, here's what you should do. Here's what yeah. people should do. And it's like all this advice, yeah. all this advice about what people should do. Oh, no. They should just no. fucking do whatever the hell they want to do. And, well, and, it's like, the, you, know. you know, it's like that, uh, what's his name? Um, Joseph Campbell thing, you know, about following your bliss. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not that namby-pamby, but I mean, I think your job as an artist is to discover what interests you and discover how you're interested in doing it. And that's all that matters, you know, and recognize, I mean, I say this particularly for, for younger students, but even older, recognize that no decision you make is permanent. You know, we all change as we, as we go through life, you know, and what we're interested in changes. Like, you know, I'm sure this happens to you all the time, but painting that you looked at 20 years ago is totally different to you now, mm-hmm. you know, and giving yourself the space to do that. There isn't a, there is not one way to do anything in exactly. art. And anyone who says, says, says otherwise, I just think is it's, it's just a little, it's not that it's necessarily wrong, but it's sort of wrong. Like it's cause it's not, it's not true. Like it's not a one size fits all kind of world. Nope. Well, damn, we should have ended the podcast there, but I actually have one more question. <laughs> okay. Um, so obviously we should always remember that there are people listening in um, on this episode, and many of them, a good amount of them are probably watercolorists, but many of them are just kind of <laughs> looking for that little bit of like help, a little bit of insight, whatever. What What would you say to folks listening in on this? What would be that one last little bit of advice from you, <sighs> from someone who's been teaching well, ISVA I, for thirty years? Well, I would say, I mean, I think what I just said, I would, I would, I would. Re- Pete. Um, but I would also say, I think something that's really important is uh, a Martha Graham quote. And uh, I don't have it in front of me. I wish I did, because I'd love to read it, because Martha Graham's crazy. But Martha Graham, the great pioneer of modern dance from the early 20th century. And I rented a studio in Kingston, New York, um, when my children were little, and my house was small. And when I walked into the studio, someone had painted this quote across the wall, and i had never seen it before. Uh, but essentially, the quote is about recognizing that anyone who is an artist is a unique spark 
in this world and it's in a unique life and that no one like them has existed before and no one like them will exist again. That you are who you are and that's special. And because of that, just allow yourself to do your work and don't judge it as you do it. And don't uh, get in your own way critically uh, because if you do, you're blocking that unique voice that's inside you. And I think that's really important to recognize because I think some of the things that get in our way are those non-art voices that we hear in ourselves mm -hmm. that tell us we're not doing something right or we're doing the wrong kind of thing or that this isn't good enough. And the important thing is to recognize that you just want to do it. And, and it's not the result. It's sort of the journey. It's the path. It's like art is part of just an ongoing discovery. Right. Uh, another quote I love is from this guy, Wolf Kahn, who said, art is about asking questions. And I always say that one to my students, too, because I think it's important to just enter into doing your pictures by engaging with what you're doing rather than worrying about what it is going to end up looking like. I think if you do that, you will eventually and more regularly do work that you are satisfied with because it's part of a dialogue that you're having with yourself. You can follow David on Instagram at davidsoman underscore. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive our soft enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.